I think if we could please stand at this point, I want to get into the Word. If you, if you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Peter. Uh, if you don't, the words will be on the screen. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 6 through 9. I read down through actually verse 7, so we're going to repeat a couple of those, but I think it's important that we, we look at this passage again. Um, starting in verse 6, Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the test of genuineness of your faith... If I could please hold for one moment, I have not dismissed the kids. Thank you, Lord. If I could dismiss the kids now for Kids Church. Frostbite on the brain as we move forward this fine morning. Thank you, Lord. So that the test of genuineness of your faith, more precious than the gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with the glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You may be seated. And Father, as we gather around your word one more time, I pray that you would settle our hearts. What we need to hear from you this morning, Father, I pray that you would allow that to come to pass. Um, use me in, in the miraculous way that you do and help me get out of my own way this morning, Father. And I just pray your blessing upon this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I was going to ask how many of you really didn't want to get out of bed this morning when you looked at the thermometer, but it's pretty apparent at this point that I probably should have stayed in bed. But here we are. We had with a wind chill up, up in our neck of the woods, as one person told me, the tundra. Um, we're not that far north, but, you know, it is a little bit. Um, you get this banana belt thing going on here in this area that I always thought was a little humorous, but, you know, it's a good eight or nine degrees warmer here. Not that that matters when it was 19 below when I left home this morning. It's only about one or two above here, so it's you know pretty pretty warm here. I feel like I might want to get out my flip flops and and shorts. Uh, not really, but there you have it. Um, I'm not a fan of this cold, as most of you know. Um, when Lisa and I prayed that he would move us south, we weren't specific enough. <laughs> Sixty miles south apparently was sufficient for him. <laughs> It has to be sufficient for me. I'm glad that I'm here, but I am not a fan of this cold. And I understand, oh, well, this is Vermont and you're a Vermonter. No, I'm not. I'm told that I can't be a Vermonter. I wasn't born here. I was born in Massachusetts, so you're, you're, you're stuck with a Massachusetts person. That, too, is south, but no less colder than it is here. My wife, and I'm not sure if my children are Vermonters, but my wife is a Vermonter. I think going back three, four, five, ten, four hundred generations, I don't know what it is. Whatever the rules are, <laughs> I don't make them. I don't make them. But I'm glad that you're here this last day of 2017. I mean, what a great thing to do to gather. Um, be reflective. It's kind of struck me, the older I get, the faster time moves. Now, those of you who are my age and are a little bit older than I am probably have realized that a lot sooner than I did. But the older I get, the faster time moves, and yet it still only moves at 60 seconds a minute. We have 85,400 seconds in a given day in which God deposits into our account that we can use. And yet here we are, all of a sudden, at the end of 2017, the very last day of the year, gathered in God's house to hear his word. And for me, I'm wondering just where the year went. 
it just surprises me. So I took a look at what we're going to look at this week for this last day, and I've titled the message very simply, Praise and Glory. And what I want us to really focus on this morning is that our peace, our peace has been secured in Christ. And a lot of that we get pulled out of the songs that we had today. And praise and glory within that peace are born out of the great assurance that God has given us in Jesus, regardless of what may be ahead for us, regardless of what has transpired behind us, and regardless of what it is we're going through right at this moment in time, our peace has been secured in Jesus because of what it is he's done. And so here we are in the last day of 2016, or 2017. See, I've even forgotten 2016. Perhaps somebody should come up and take over. This is what happens when your head gets a little fat. Started this year all the way back in January, as most years start, looking at God's story. If you remember that sermon series, so we took a look at the five-act play, really trying to establish who we are in the story of God and what it is God is doing in and through us into this world. Act 1 being creation, Act 2 being the fall, Genesis 3 through Genesis 11. Act 3 being the covenant promises in Israel, starting in Genesis 12 all the way through to Malachi, the end of the Old Testament. We're going to learn today about Act 4, the new covenant. That's the life of Jesus, the coming of our King and the Messiah, and new creation, which we will probably look at at Easter time. But those are the things that we looked at as we started this year. And as usual, we kind of went sideways about three acts into that whole deal, and we started looking at different things. But one of the greatest shortcomings of the Christmas season I discovered this year for myself, and even within the church, and probably most especially within the church at times, is that when the 25th of December rolls around, it comes and it goes, we tend to fall back into our routines of, okay, what's next? Christmas is done. It's over with. That story's been told. It was a wonderful little thing. Christmas Eve has come. We lit our candles. We sang Silent Night. We found Jesus being born in the manger. That dirty feeding trough which served as his throne, which was the theme for our Christmas Eve messages, both of them this year. The throne of the king of the universe was this dirty little slobby trough filled with hay and all kinds of other things. And then we ask the question, what's next? As if that's the end of the story. We've learned what we need to learn. Now let's move on from there. It's not always the best thing to do. Much like waking up the next day after Christmas, for those of you who are this way, I know folks who are this way, you look at your house and the first thought that comes to your head on 26th of December is, okay, what gets packed away first? so that we can start decorating for the next holiday. I was walking through Walmart the 23rd of December, and the Valentine cards were already out. Take a breath, people. Take a breath, people. Unknowingly, we do the same not only with Christmas, but we also do the same thing with the Easter story. We pack and we unpack these profound stories for a certain time during the year as if that's the only time that they fit, and that's that. And we don't address these types of things. But to understand the scriptures as a whole is to understand that these two narratives, the birth story of Jesus and the crucifixion and the resurrection, that Easter story that we have, are the two key elements to which every single thing points to in the entirety of the Bible. So we have to get this into our spirit that God broke into our time to be with us. That's Emmanuel, God with us. Such a unique story. He broke into our time to be with us. And he did so to save us because we needed to be saved. We were lost, floating around this world, not quite sure what it is we're supposed to do. And he saved us through the cross. 
He saved us in that moment in history when the ultimate curse of sin that was brought down because of what Adam and Eve had done, that curse of death was defeated because of what Jesus did when he walked out of the tomb on that very first day of the very first new week of new creation. Death no longer had mastery over this world because of what it was Jesus did. Now, without these two pieces, these bookends, as it were, the incarnation, the birth of this little baby boy, and this resurrection of our risen king, the Bible seems a lot weirder than it already is to some people when you go to visit it, if you don't make sense of these two stories. Because again, if we are honest when we read this, the manger collides in every way with the way in which this world does its business. It makes no sense in relation to how this world does its business. And in the midst of the Christmas aftermath, my mind, as it always works, was already looking forward to going back to the Ephesians series that we were doing and picking right up in chapter 4 and verse 1 where we left off some months back. And we will get to that at some point. We will get to that. I was prayerful as well about a series to take us into what it means for membership within the local congregation of the church, why it is it's important for us to gather on the Lord's Day, to take a look at communion and baptism, the ordinances of the church, or the sacraments, depending on your faith tradition, why it is it's important and where they come from and why we ought to celebrate that and partake as members of the local congregation, and, and why it is we tithe, that topic that everybody just loves to not hear about. But there you have it. We'll get to that as well because the leadership team and I feel it's very important that we revisit those things to understand what it means to be a healthy community of believers as we gather together. All of those things are critical and important and they're beneficial for us all to revisit them over and over again. You don't read the Bible just once and then put it on a shelf and go, I got that down, read it. You know, I mean, it's not like a normal book. It's not like a normal book at all. You see, all of those topics give us a reminder as to why it is we gather here in this particular place on the Lord's Day every single week. What it means to be a part of that local body of Christ and how it is we support not just this local congregation, but missionaries globally. Why it is we send money out to support people that are out on the field. Rachel Mullins, who was here two months ago, we are now supporting her as a brand new missionary. She's going to be going down to, what is it, Honduras, I believe? She can never remember. It's because it was supposed to be Nicaragua and then it was changed. But anyway, we are supporting her. Keep her in your prayers. Write her name down. These are, the, these are the reasons why we do these things. And part of discipleship as well as pastoral care is to teach on these things for our benefit so that we can grow and so that we can learn. So that our health spiritually and, and mentally and emotionally is very sound as we take a look at what the scriptures tell us in order that we can be assured of the things that we're being taught, that we read, that we believe, and what is commonly accepted among us. All of those things are important for us to do. So 2018, if we take a look at it that way, it looks very promising and it's not here until midnight, is it? We have all of those things on the table. And my challenge to you is, as always, open your Bible and read it. If you think this 35 minutes to 40 minutes on this Sunday morning is enough sustenance to get you from point A to point B, you are mistaken. You're going to starve yourself to death. My job is to disciple and to feed you the word by putting a message together so that we can chew on stuff throughout the week, go home and talk around the table and pray about what it is we've learned opening up your Bible each day, saying, okay, Lord, speak to me. Help me understand what it is I'm supposed to be doing in this world at this moment in time and what your word says about that and how it is I fit into this whole thing. 
So it's with all of those thoughts that I was driven actually this week to just put the brakes on, slow down a bit, and study this notion of praise and glory that we kind of looked at with the shepherds. Because that's what they did after they had discovered that what the angel had told them was absolutely true. Every single thing the angel said to them came to pass. They found the baby exactly as they said, and he was exactly who they said he was. And they didn't just take off as if, okay, check the box, we're moving on. This is just another part of our routine and the mundane things we didn't know. The Bible tells us, Luke says in Luke 2.20, that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. So they didn't just take off as if nothing had happened. They were glorifying God and they were praising God and they were letting settle within their spirits what had just occurred in that little town of Bethlehem. In a world that moves exponentially faster than those days, we need to be careful to just kind of put the brakes on and let the word of God settle into our hearts and into our spirits. So the question then is, is why do we find ourselves in one of Peter's letters this morning? Why are we there? some 40 years on from the crucifixion, right around that time, and some 75 years on from this manger scene that we've been looking at for these last four weeks. Well, one of the reasons is because Peter was an eyewitness to the man Jesus in the ministry. He was an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ, is reassuring churches that are trying to figure out how it is they're supposed to make their way in the world now that they are not the prevailing cultural story and they are not being as accepted as just another cult as it were see because the church is now struggling with persecution that had come about and they're wondering how it is they're to get along in a world that's now seeing them as a threat in the empire to the status quo it's not quite so easy to follow jesus anymore so peter to reassure them and to remind them that the praise and the glory that we have, that the shepherds had, comes in the midst of trial and it comes in the midst of unsettledness as times as much as it comes in those moments of peace and in those moments of comfort. We have to remember that our life is not all one thing. It is not all suffering. It is not all persecution. It is not all trials. But neither is it all comfort. Neither is it all peace. We have to understand that praise and glory can and needs to be found in the midst of whatever situation we find ourselves in. See, so the confrontation with the manger and what it means is a question that a Christian simply cannot pass by as we take a look at this. We can't visit the manger scene as we do every year to see this universe-altering truth that God himself came to this earth in the person of his son Jesus in the flesh and then simply move on as if it's just a side note to the story. It is the story. Without it, we don't have anything else. And I admit that I fail us in this respect at times because once Christmas is done, I take off down the road and we go to look at other things. But it's important that we don't treat this somehow like the optional introduction to the real part of the story, as it were. Because again, you see, the birth of this Jesus of Nazareth, the coming of the King, Emmanuel, God with us, is the real story. It's the launching of Act 4, the new covenant. All of the promises of God, Paul tells us, are what? Yes and amen in Jesus. Why? Because the coming of this person, the coming of the Son of God, meant that every promise from the garden until the end of time would be fulfilled in and through him. 
That's why it's important. That's why it's the launching of Act 4, the new covenant. The new covenant that by grace, through faith, we have a way home. We are no longer lost, as it were. And the world, as it was known at that moment in time, would never, ever be the same again. Those shepherds didn't walk out of wherever it was they walked out of going, okay, we're going to go back to our McDonald's on Tuesday and we're going to have a good night and everything is as it was. Never again. And the world itself still isn't the same. Say what anyone will. This entire world hangs everything. It's calendars, it's times, it's datings, all kinds of seasons on this particular event that God broke into our time as a human being in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, there are many things that you can do with Jesus wherever this finds you today. There are many things you can do with this Jesus. Ignore him is not one of them. A decision needs to be made about this person. And a decision is always made. Somebody says that they haven't made a decision on him, they're, they're not telling you the truth. He can't be ignored. If he's ignored, you've made a decision. See, Peter's encouraging folks here who are struggling And what he doesn't do for them is give them this self-help pep talk, this nice little Dale Carnegie speech with a whole bunch of nifty sayings that'll get them through Tuesday or Wednesday to help them help themselves and find their way in this world. No, instead he sets them right down where they need to be in verses 3 and 4. Right smack in the center of the mercy of God. Right in the center of the mercy of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to what? His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So if everything is unsettled for you, if you're feeling a little bit shaken, If all of a sudden this manger scene looks to you like you've got to make a decision and your world's turned upside down, Peter says, smack in the middle of God's mercy. Everything has been settled for you if you step into that. If we are not firmly rooted in the fact that God who has saved us transforms us, we will always be striving to somehow please him and think if things aren't going well that we have somehow missed the mark in making God happy. We have to be careful. If we can settle it in our hearts that it is because we missed the mark and we can never actually hit the mark that Jesus came in the first place, then it'll be okay. You see, we can then become settled in the truth that it is because of God's mercy and simply because of God's mercy mercy, that we are who we are and that we can do the things that we do and that we can go before his throne on a given day. And we can say, Lord, I've blown it six ways to Sunday. I don't even deserve to be saying your name. And yet, because of your mercy, here I am nonetheless. You see, if we think back for a minute on the story that we've looked at over these last five weeks, we learn that the people of Israel have been waiting how long? 400 years for God to act on their behalf. And I said last week, and I'll say again today, if you are frustrated that God hasn't answered your prayer this week, read about the people of Israel. 400 years they prayed for God to act on their behalf. Why? Because they knew that the promised Messiah would bring them freedom. That there would be a release. That all of the promises of God would be fulfilled in the coming of this anointed one. 
Where they failed, though, was in the notion that he would come in a backward and upside-down way. They didn't understand what the plan of God was, even though we look back and see it in the Old Testament and go, why didn't they see it? Well, we wouldn't have seen it either if we were in the midst of all of this, that he would come as a humble servant in order to deliver them through the ultimate exodus that all of humanity had found themselves in since the time of Adam and Eve, that exodus from sin. That manger scene is so much more than what we find on our cards. You see, this is the redemption that Simeon, that prophet who was spending all of his time waiting for as he stayed in the temple, he was praying and he was fasting. Luke tells us that this Simeon, this guy that was just hanging in the temple, was righteous, that he was devout, waiting every single day for the coming of the Messiah who would bring about the consolation or the comfort and the deliverance from the Romans and all of the other people who had oppressed Israel. He was waiting every day for that consolation of Israel. Why? Why? Because as a man of God, the scriptures tells us that he had been promised by God's spirit that he wouldn't die until he saw the coming of this anointed one. Seeing Jesus being brought into that temple eight days after he was born by his parents, he's moved by the Holy Spirit and he blesses God in the midst of it all. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. How does he know? How does he know? Did Jesus cry with dignity? Did he have a royal whine about him? I mean, these are questions that I ask. No, he knew because God's spirit moved him because he was obedient in all of that long waiting for God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Don't forget that last part. Don't ever forget that last part because this is the promise fulfilled in more ways than Simeon could ever imagine. Most especially given that last line that he utters. He's talking about Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 6. He's declaring the actual purpose and the mission of the people of Israel. You see, they were called and set apart by God and put where they were and given his law in order to be a light to the rest of the world. But instead, they shut themselves up so that the light couldn't get out. So the challenge here is that this is why the Messiah came. So that that light can be released. That all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through them and ultimately through Jesus the Messiah. But you see, all of a sudden in the midst of this, this joy turns to the reality when he turns to Mary. And in a, I'm not going to be invited back for next week's sermon comment, looks at this. He blessed them and said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Okay, that's good. And a sword will pierce your own soul or your heart also. World without end, amen. Have a nice day. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, there's a purpose. Another confirmation for Mary. But neither he nor Mary understood at the moment just what all of that meant. And that's okay. They didn't understand what it meant. But how true it all was. See, it wasn't to be in some triumphal procession on a great white horse. That's why I say this manger is in conflict with the way this world does its business. It is so right in your face opposite the way it is we handle power. It's unbelievable. No, it would be through pain and it would be through suffering that this Messiah would bring about the freedom not only of the people of Israel, but of all humanity. Now let that sink in as we reflect on 
a manger, this little baby. See, this is clear from the outset. It's clear from the outset, and to miss this means we struggle then with what Peter is trying to teach these Gentile believers here in his first letter. Can you imagine them thinking about it? Okay, but right now I'm struggling. I don't really know how to handle what I'm struggling with, and I don't know if God even hears me in the midst of all of this pain. I'm hurting. I've been deeply wounded by somebody, and I don't even know how to address that, or I'm confused about what it is the scriptures are telling me about, what direction it is God is driving me, and I don't understand any of these things. How will any of this work out at all? I don't have any of these answers. Now, you let those things just rest in your spirit and ask yourself, where am I in the midst of any of those questions? Because the next question that gets asked, wherever that finds you, is where does this praise and glory come in? How does that work itself in if I'm in a really uncomfortable position and in a really bad way and perhaps even a little bit upset with the Lord and the way things are going on in my life? Where does this praise and this glory come in? Well, I want to remind you that without the manger, we wouldn't have a cross. And without the cross, there will be no salvation for God to keep for us in heaven in order that we can have glory and have praise you see peter tells them as he continues in verses five and six he reminded them in verse four that that glory was undefiled and unfading and it was kept for them in heaven and then he continues who by god's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials In order to be settled with the last part of that, we have to get really deeply a hold of the first part of that. Our salvation, who we are, and everything that God has given to us is being kept in heaven by him through his power. Nothing at all that we're doing. Nothing at all that we're doing. It's all about him. That's what Peter continues to say. That's why we have to understand that In order to settle in, in this you rejoice now, though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Now, wait a minute. Though for a little while, if necessary, various trials, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't come to Jesus for that. I thought if I got Jesus, I got life everlasting, everything was all bells and whistles and parties and soda. See, trials are not what I signed on for. It's not what I thought was coming down the road. It wasn't at all what I wanted, but there you have it. You see, the church that Peter is writing to is smack dab in the middle of trying to figure that out. Because they found themselves in the midst of trials. They found themselves in the midst of all of that. Why? Because as a people, they had stepped away from paganism and polytheism to the worship of the one true God who made himself known to this world in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. A Jew. That made them outsiders in their own culture. That set them apart from all they had known and done their entire lives. It made them social outcasts and it made them weird in the culture that they had grown up in. Have to understand that. In fact, by this point, to follow Jesus for some at that moment in time cost them their life. And you see, this is the wall that gets hit by a good many professing Christians. The notion that when we come to Jesus and we say that lovely little prayer that we accept Jesus into our heart as our personal Lord and Savior to be saved, that all of our troubles go away. That everything just disappears. That all is well. That enough faith that we have will keep us from sickness. It'll keep us from illness. It'll keep us from pain. It'll keep us from trial. It'll keep us from struggles. 
that worship of God is the key to our financial blessings, the new car, the successes that we have in life, and all of that nonsense. Therefore, to have any kind of trial in our life somehow means that we've done something wrong or something wrong in your faith has gone awry. It's not strong enough. It's too weak. Or worse yet, and this one gets me, that God somehow is unhappy with you and your performance for him. If our performance was good enough, Jesus wasted his time on the cross. So to believe this type of stuff, and a good many Christians do, that's the problem. To believe that is to go astray. I can't do nothing good, including speaking English. I can't. And neither can you. That's why we have this manger, you see. That's why we have this manger. Poor teaching, weak and incomplete teaching from far too many pulpits in this country and around the world. And I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just stating facts as I see it. Do more harm to a seeking, lost, non-Christian person and a desperate Christian trying to find answers We fail if we don't teach correctly from the pulpit what it means to find praise and glory and joy in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of struggling. You see, the Bible has all the answers that we need, even though sometimes we don't like those answers. It has the answers that we need, and they sit there on the pages of Scripture nonetheless. This is why it's good for us to read See, Peter is reassuring this church which is in persecution and struggling to understand all the suffering and the problems that their belief in Jesus has brought to them. So he tells them that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, to understand that is to understand good, proper Christian living. That no matter what we go through, no matter what we are faced with, whether we are on a mountaintop Elijah moment like the barbecue at Carmel, or we are in the valley and we are running as fast as we can away from a perceived threat, God has us secure in his hands. No matter what happens, See, we are in the same position today, 2,000 years on, as these Gentile believers, who only a few decades removed from these events, they will still, they're still, are of those folks who have never seen Jesus. They've never seen Jesus any more than we did, even though it's only a few years removed, a generation, as it were. They've never seen him with their eyes. They've heard the preaching of Peter. They've heard the preaching of Paul, and more than likely have read his letters as well. And they've heard the preaching of various others who have come and who have spoken at their gatherings and their churches, proclaiming in Jesus salvation. And they believed it as a result. You see, Peter encourages them in that in verses 8 and 9. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Don't forget. Don't forget your good confession. In the midst of your pain and your struggles, don't forget. You haven't seen him, but you love him. You love him because you've said you do. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible 
and filled with glory. So yeah, you're struggling right now, but don't forget your good confession. Don't forget that God keeps you in and through Jesus. So even in the midst of it, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Stand firm then. Stand firm. See, Peter's talking about suffering and the subsequent glory that comes from that suffering. But how do we get to the point of this praise and glory in our suffering? How do we do that? Because that's really the question. That's really the question that we have to ask. And there's two things that we have to see and we remember through every single thing. Number one, who Jesus is. If you remember nothing at all about what I talk about today, remember these two things. Who Jesus is. And number two, who I am in him. Okay? That's essentially Ephesians chapter 1 that we went through all those months ago. Who Jesus is and who I am in him. What he has secured for me in his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Those are essential. They're essential to understand if we're to successfully navigate life as a Christian. Otherwise, we get all shaked up, most especially in trials. You see, Peter gives us that definition within the first two verses that we took a look at, that we have to always remind ourselves who we really are in the midst of the world as Jesus sees us. The world will define who you are. The world will try to define who it is. The world doesn't know who it is. Two seconds in the newspaper gives you an answer to that question. We need to remember that how Jesus sees us is who we are. See, N.T. Wright in his tiny little commentary says that we need to remind ourselves frequently Every day, we need to remind ourselves frequently, seriously, and thoroughly who we really are. Why? Because the world presses in to define for you who you are. So remind yourself frequently, seriously, and thoroughly who we really are. Unless we do that, the insidious messages we get from the world around us, that we are who we are because of who our parents were, where we live, or how much we earn, will eat away at us like rust into a car. Now, if we don't know much in Vermont, we know what rust is. Because we know what salt is. <laughs> I had a bumper in my Dodge Dakota that had very little bumper and a whole lot of holes. A lot of drag on that truck there, but it wouldn't pass inspection. There was so little left to it. Don't get eaten apart like that. Don't get eaten apart like that. You see, because from the moment of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, there was trouble. Here's where it all gets pulled together. Even before that moment when Jesus was born, we learned over the Advent season of trials and troubles for every single one of those whom God called favored in his sight. Zechariah, Elizabeth, Joseph, Mary, all these people were called of God to be a part of his plan. And yet there was trouble at the outset. Not to draw too much attention to the notion that that's what happens every once in a while, but however, not to address the concerns of ours and these folks to whom Peter is speaking would, would be disingenuous to what the scripture tells us. And we go wrong if we don't understand that there are times when we will have trouble. And in that trouble, you will discover that you are smack dab in the center of the will of God in your life. 
Just because life is going along smooth doesn't mean you're in the center of God's will. Doesn't mean you're not. Be prayerful about that. But we need to understand that. Our victory is found when we grasp who we are, not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes and the mind of others. We can't do that either. Remember, things that our family and our friends say to us are cutting at times. And they really put us on our heels because we value their opinion and how they feel about us. We, we can't let that define who we are. We have to allow what Jesus tells us we are. We are saved. We are redeemed. We are restored. We are reconciled to God. Those are facts set in stone from eternity. If you are in Christ, there is nothing that can change that. No one's opinion. When we're secure in that truth, the things we tend to struggle with begin to pale in comparison to the victory that's promised through the resurrection that Peter's talking about here. All of this, Peter tells us, is guarded by God's power through our faith and his ability to accomplish this for us. It's God's power in your faith to accomplish by his ability everything he's calling you to do. We just need to be obedient. So back to the Christmas story as we come close to a close here. We want to look to understand God's pattern in the scriptures. I think it's important that we do that, that these aren't one-offs. Simeon at the temple, if you read a little bit longer into Luke chapter 2, is followed by Anna, the prophetess, who also identifies this baby as the redeemer of Israel. It's a staggering thought when you really sit back and look at it that the creator of the universe, giving his eternal son, this Jesus of Nazareth, he leaves them, at least it seems so on the pages of scripture, he leaves them absolutely to fend for themselves all of a sudden. Here is the creator of the universe, the son of God, helpless as a baby, in a diaper, headed to the temple with a couple of first-time parents. If you got kids, you were a first-time parent once, right? How fun was that? Now add to that notion that you're carrying around the king of the universe. It's a little unsettling. But he didn't leave them to fend for themselves. Now I've been watching on Netflix that series Crown. How many of you watched that at all? Okay, I got one hand going up. I I watched that because I really like that. I think it's really neat to take a look at um, the history of that. And uh, there's a scene in the second season where Elizabeth becomes pregnant with her third child. She's a little bit farther on in age and all that. So Queen Elizabeth, all of a sudden, she's pregnant and the world stops. Oh, the queen's pregnant. We're going to have a third child. It's all great and all that stuff. Well, you know, the time comes for her to deliver and everything stops in the palace. Her room gets locked down. The doctors are called. Everybody's called in and everything stops, you know, as if somebody moving on the first floor, uh, you know, 5,000 miles away from the 18th floor is going to mess up stuff. But anyway, there you have it. Everything stops. Why? Because the queen is going to have a baby. And that baby is royalty. And you don't want anything to happen to the queen or to her child, do you? Why? Because they're royalty. And rightly so, you want the best of the best of the best for them because that's how it's supposed to work. Now, once again, the conflict with the manger and how this world operates. We have Jesus, born in a stable, completely helpless as a little child, dedicated in the temple by parents who are just trying to figure this whole deal out. Don't think they hovered two inches above the ground. 
trying to figure this whole thing out. He gets prophesied over by some crazy old guy. His mom gets told something that she's trying to sort out and she ponders in her mind. All of these things, then Anna shows up. And then they're given a short time to rest because Matthew continues the story by letting us know at some point in the future, wise men show up, right? They show up. They show up with a whole bunch of gifts. Then they're led not to go back by that old crouchy curmudgeon Herod. So they take off in a different direction, ensuring that Herod's going to be all angry because they lied to him and they took off in a different way once they found this king of the Jews. Then Joseph, he puts his head down on his pillow at night. What happens? He gets woken up by another angelic visit, okay? When's this going to stop, Lord? Seriously, you can talk to me when I'm over dinner, not 2 o'clock in the morning. But there you have it. He gets woken up. What's he told to do? Pack your wife, pack your son, head to where? Egypt. You're going into exile. Why? Because crazy King Herod wants to take the life of your son. Left alone? I don't think so. Struggles, trials, absolutely. See, this story is everything at all imaginable going on. And the main character is the king of the universe on the lamb, as it were, headed to Egypt into exile, just like the people of Israel were a thousand years before. Can you write better stuff? New York Times wouldn't have a number one bestseller that would have this stuff. But we have to understand that from the outset, Jesus and his parents were facing trials of various kinds. They were facing trials of various kinds, and yet they can rejoice because God had them safely in the palm of of his hand. See, and that is the whole thing we need to get a hold of with this praise and this glory in the midst of various trials. See, this is God's pattern. In the midst of various trials, I will watch over you. I will keep you. See, and that helps us to understand 1 Peter 1.6 all the more. In this, you rejoice. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It's helpful to look at the entire story. I mean, at some point, how many times is the angel going to show up where Joseph is going to be like, okay, what do you want this time? I know you got this under control, just tell me what to do. That's where the faith got, has to get at some point. You see, we're here all the way back at the start. We cannot understand the struggles of life and the resurrection if we miss this manger. We can't. We cannot understand how it is we get through various trials of many kinds with praise and glory and honor and all of that good stuff if we don't understand that the king of the universe didn't come riding on a white horse. He came as a little boy who didn't even know how to use the bathroom, who had no teeth couldn't talk, who couldn't walk in order to show the world how God does things. Backwards, seemingly powerless. He didn't enter the world on a feather pillow in the palace of the king, did he? I could have the worship team come up. No. This new covenant that started in a manger would be sealed in blood on the cross some 33 years later. See, I leave you with this thought, and this is what struck me this week, that Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, had no issue at all with the cross because he'd already laid his life down in the manger. 
He'd already laid his life down in the manger by giving all he had up in glory for you and for me. The cross was nothing. I mean, it was everything. I'm not minimizing that. But he wasn't afraid of it. He knew what was after the cross. He had laid his life down in the manger. Both of them thrones. Both of them say to the world that I have a way of doing business. And it's not your way of doing business. Both of them say to the world that if you want true power, it comes in humility, it comes in weakness, it comes in meekness. It comes in obedience in everything that we are given, no matter how hard, no matter how easy, and no matter how weird sometimes it may seem. That's what we're left with. To the praise and the glory of God the Father. We have our Jesus. We could stand. Those who are willing to pray with folks who need so, I would appreciate it if you would take your spots. As we close in one last song, I just want to encourage you, if, if you find yourself in a place of struggling today, especially this Christmas season going into the new year, it's a very good way to start your year. Don't leave this place today without getting some prayer, whatever it may be. Even if you just need someone to pray with you for encouragement, I want to challenge you. End this year in a good way. Start the new year in an even better way before the throne of God. In the name of Jesus, celebrating the peace, the glory, the victory that we have in Christ.